Hey, we have a podcast. We're back with Patrick from Meridian Acupuncture and Herbal Medicine from Louisville, Kentucky. This is part two of the conversation. In the first part, we are talking about what it's like to open a practice not in California. But after that, we were just kind of drunkenly shooting the shit about Chinese medicine. So let's see if any of that audio is actually usable. Okay, let me refill my bourbon. You still doing the Woodford? Uh, back to the Blanton's 130.2 proof. See, it's, the thing is, you say drunken podcast, but I haven't heard anybody drunk so far. Oh, okay, we're back with Patrick. I've been drinking a lot of bourbon on an empty stomach, so we'll see if any of this is coherent. So you've been to China several times, right? I have been to China several times. High school, undergrad, grad. So this is a question I wanted to ask to a Chinese person, but you're here now, so I'm going to ask you. Um, the traditional medicine that we learn in America, is that like the real thing? Like, are we actually practicing authentic Chinese medicine or are we more like children playing dress up and we're pretending to do Chinese medicine when really what we do here just doesn't hold a candle to what they do in China? So <clears throat> this question is definitely twofold. Um, so I did the program at Chengdu Zhongyao, the like big medical college in Chengdu, China, Sichuan province. And lo and behold, to my dismay, what we learn in America, which I would consider, and this is like up for argument, so yes, I could be wrong, but I'm gonna I'm gonna call what we learn in America, or at PCOM at least, Zongfu diagnosis, Zongfu treatment. It's actually what they were teaching at the Chinese Medical College, which was dramatically different than the previous experience I had in visiting clinics or hospitals in which I saw different diagnostic methods and treatment methods taking place. <clears throat> that said, here, here in America, your acupuncture college and your hospital is typically privately owned, right? So the private person who owns it can teach whatever they want. In China, it is state-owned, and the state dictates and conforms to what they believe is correct. And that's fine. And over there, if you go through a, a, a large school like the one I went through, it is what I would consider to be very similar or Zongfu patterns, Zongfu diagnostics, Zongfu treatments. And so, yeah, to, to, to much dismay to me, who wants that very esoteric actually treating with E, right, it, it did not exist in that program. But that is not to say that I didn't see it while I worked over there on different times. So I want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. You're saying that like there's an older generation that's more esoteric and more shamanic and now there's a newer generation that's more like our macho zong fu and what we learn in America is very similar to what the new generation learns in China. Is that what you're saying? So correct. Um, <clears throat> if you go to China and you search out the very rare private clinic, and these exist. So yeah. if you go into the major city and you go find one of the very many like uh, herb shops, and you ask like, "But I want acupuncture," not at the not at the university, not at the college, not at the state hospital. Where do I go? And they might direct you to somebody who also happens to be an herbalist. And this is very typically the person who tells you. They are 27th generation acupuncturists within their family, specific family lineage, and they might be practicing something that looks more along the lines of 
traditional five element, not the Worsley method, maybe traditional I Ching acupuncture, uh, abdominal acupuncture where the Bagua image is laid over the abdomen. Something they might be practicing something similar to what looks like Tan method acupuncture. However, if you go to the state-run hospitals or the education systems that you can get into as a foreigner, you are essentially being trained by the same lineage who wrote the Shanghai text, and the Shanghai text is the lineage that begot the the formal Chinese medical school within America. In my experience. So is that a Mao thing that we got rid of all the traditional things and moved to the new system? So whether or not it was Mao or just the communist regime, correct. They they wanted to make things less Chinese and more organized, more congruent with Western thought. And so, yeah, when you go to train Chinese medicine in China now, you are going to go to the cardiovascular wing and you're going to see the blood work of the patient. You're going to see herbs distilled that are put into an IV bag and pumped into a patient. You're going to see... Uh, the osteopath come who's an osteopath acupuncturist and he's going to be able to, he or she is going to be able to delineate the MRI and tell you all these very specific things. And it's going to look like a perfect union of Western and Eastern medicine. Because sometimes I wonder about that is like, are we romanticizing what happens in China? So in, in my experience, we are somewhat romanticizing the history of Chinese medicine, classical literature, right? This time when Li Shijun would take your pulse by the lake and he would tell you of the very specific thing going on in your body and he would prescribe the rare herb and then do the esoteric acupuncture treatment. And while that image does not exist in the contemporary Chinese medical clinic, it does not mean that it can't exist anywhere where the lineage is played out. If, if that makes sense. So like if, if you are in a lineage like Five Element or Japanese, those are Nanjing style, right? So those go back further than the Communist Party. And you can practice those and you can elicit wonderful results. And you can go through schools like Pacific College and you can get a really good understanding of Zongfu diagnosis and you can apply Zongfu acupuncture and you can elicit really great change in a person. And, and that's not to say it's wrong. Somebody who, like me, says that they're super pretentious and wants to practice a very specific way and treat in a very specific way, you know, that's great. I'm, I'm, I might be able to get good change and somebody might be doing a completely separate style and eliciting amazing change themselves. So do you practice what you learned in school or do you practice in spite of what you learned in school? I probably practice in spite of what I learned in school. So I think something that's uh, difficult about me is that I had a I had a, a long period of time before school to read classical literature and maybe not understand, but have a very wide grasp of a, of a larger surface of Chinese medicine. And so I gravitated towards a very specific treatment style, one that is not necessarily Zongfu diagnosis. So to me, that is where I'm comfortable. And because I'm comfortable and because I educate myself in it and expand it, I see good change. But that doesn't mean it's the right way or the only way. So how would you describe your treatment style? Because I feel like you're not like a 10 questions type of person. How would you describe your treatment style? 
So I would consider my treatment style to be non-jing, and if that is if that's difficult for younger people, uh, kick open the book to that four-point needle technique. And while I may add or subtract needles away from that, the idea of where that point selection came from is the same theory that I would deliver points from. Is it very pulse-based? It is extremely pulse-based. And when I and when I say pulse, I'm going to expand that to like the the Wang Juyi concept of like I'm going to palpate a channel and I'm going to extrapolate data from many different areas. But correct, I may not believe what the patient tells me, so my ten questions might look different. So according to Ju Danshi, the influence of the negative chi or the diagnosis can change the patient's perspective of what's going on. So maybe not something that I take issue with, but something that I see a problem with is when people come in and tell a practitioner, these are my symptoms and this is where I'm having a problem with and only affect this thing, right? <clears throat> so what I believe is that you know, my, my headache and my sleep deprivation can lead to, a, lead to maybe a shun disturbance. And the shun disturbance, while not me being crazy, can make me overlook things or change the idea of what's going on, but what cannot lie is the pulse, the tongue, or the the primary meridians. So you've read the classics, right? Or do you currently read the classics? So i i like to I like to read. So I'm I'm that person that does not find entertainment reading entertaining, but I find technical texts entertaining. So I consistently attempt to pour through a lot of different texts. Uh, within Chinese medicine, so in my in the earlier parts of my career, when I was like in more into the Chinese language, I was actively translating what we would consider to be classical texts, or reading translations with commentaries in depth, pretty hard. I feel that that, that like that was a longer answer than what I was expecting. Oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> so you read the classics? Yes. Yes. <laughs> So I think that I think the classics are very important for for our medicine. I I see a really big divide between people who want to practice in the romanticized esoteric style and I see a difference in the people who want to practice in the integrating into western medical style. And for me, I am firmly in the romanticized ancient times camp. So I guess first of all, do you prefer the Neijing or the Nanjing? Uh so I think that, so I prefer the Nanjing for mm-hmm. practical treatment and advanced study within the medicine. I think that you cannot understand or begin to grasp what's going on until you at least kind of thumb through the, the Suwon and the Ling Shu. Because I think we have the same Nanjing translated by Paul Unschuld. Right, and I think, Unschuld. And I think in the preface he says something like, a lot of people have reference – let me start over because I'm slurring my words now. Slur less. A lot of people have reverence for the Neijing because it's the book that came first. But he kind of makes this argument that we should really pay attention to the Nanjing because in the time of the Neijing, that's like the rough draft. That's when they didn't have everything sorted out. But by the time they got to the Nanjing, that's when we had more of a complete picture of what was going on. So if there's any difference between the two, we should pay more attention to the Nanjing. Do you agree with that? So I agree. 
if I extrapolate a little more data out of it, I agree in the sense that if I'm here to run a business and the business is acupuncture and I want to give a halfway decent emphasis on halfway decent acupuncture treatment, I had better focus on the non-jing for the technical data on acupuncture within it. If I'm that person that wants to practice uh, feng shui, understand the cosmos, be the one who unites the earth, the heaven, and the, the human level, then I had better understand the ling shu as well. And you know, for me personally, I'm that person that I, I love data and I like the, the way mechanisms work together. So I really enjoy the overarching data that the, the ling shu gives us. And so I want to integrate that into patient treatment. Do you think that it's necessary to read the classics or that it's clinically applicable to read the classics? Or can I just read Machiocha and that's good enough? No, Sun Sun Miao said that any dumbass can move chi. So you can, I mean, you can go through school and you can learn a very basic form of it. I mean, how many chiropractors are out there that got the weekend course and learned where stomach 36 is and are changing people's chi movement on that dynamic? I don't think that that's inappropriate. I don't think that that's wrong. I think that that's inappropriate, but... (laughs) But it doesn't it doesn't mean to say that you can't run a business on it. To me, that is a lie. Uh, but maybe I'm extreme in that point. I guess because I feel like sometimes it's like re- you read the non-jing and is it really applicable clinically? Like when you start at the non-jing, it talks about like every time you inhale, the chi moves three inches. And every time you exhale, the, move, the chi moves three inches. And so the chi moves 500 times through the course of the day. It's like – is that really helping you in the treatment room? How long do you let your patient cook for? According to the non-Jing, 28.8 minutes because that's one so, complete cycle of chi. So that's how long I let my patient cook. <laughs> really? So so for me who believes in that, sure. But also for you that believes that uh, lung seven transmits energy to LI whatever, I mean, you're, you're accepting a part of it. Are you going to accept the whole? I'm, to me, this this classical literature reads like a, a motorcycle repair manual, right? I have to understand. I have to do it as it says. And f- for me, I have to like pay attention to this thing for it to work the way that it looks like it was set up. Is that true? No. People, people are doing all kinds of things, and they are getting good results, and that's completely fine. But for me, I need that construct, and I need those parameters. And with those, I can elicit a very impressive treatment. So reading those primary texts definitely affected the results you get in clinic. I believe so. Because I guess the other thing I think about— Do you believe in the force? <laughs> Do you have the force? <laughs> I didn't know that Mon Calamari are people. <laughs> no, because sometimes you come across this weird shit. Like in the Ling Shu, it talks about the nine needles. Do you actually know what the nine needles are? Do you use the nine needles? When you get so in- I, use one, I use one of the nine needles. I know. And it's like when we get into the non-Jing, it talks about – like the non-Jing is all about five-phase correspondences. And it applies it to fucking everything. As it should. So even when you get into diarrhea, it's like there are five types of diarrhea. Do you do – you, like when you're in clinic, do you diagnose the five types of diarrhea? I might go for three. I don't know that I go for five. I'd probably go for three. So not to bring like politics or anything into this, but I feel like we're living in a time where things are very divisive, not only politically but socially. 
What is it like treating people who have views that are diametrically opposed to your own? So I, to make this question into two parts, as I like to do, both one yin and one yang, something very interesting that I have found being in business is that half of the people walk in and they see, uh, I'm a white guy. I'm a white, cis, male, whatever. So I'm a, I'm a regular white guy, right? So they walk in, they see a white guy. They see, uh, I'm married to an Asian chick. I, I do not wear shoes. I'm often drinking tea, coffee, or bourbon in my place of business. My place of business is a voodoo shop. I literally have a dead chicken that I will shake over people at some points. That's a true story. And they say, oh my God, this guy is liberal as fuck. And truth be told, I am extremely so liberal. I am hand out abortions on the sidewalk liberal. And they start talking to me about their liberal ideas. And I'm like, hell yeah, I totally agree with you on this and that, right? Socially liberal. And then the other half of people walk in and they say, look at this guy. He's white. He's a business owner. He's a landowner. He has to be conservative as shit. And they start talking to me about their conservative issues. And then I immediately go into the, uh, the mode of Sun Simiao, who wrote our, our, uh, what, what people would consider like our Hippocratic Oath, right? And part of the Hippocratic Oath is, I think he states it, quote, just fucking treat people. So that's, that's pretty much where I am in, in regards to that. So I had a political figure from Kentucky call, and uh, he said that he came that I came very highly recommended to him and he wanted to come in for a treatment. And when I, when I realized who I was talking to, I made an error judgment on my part and I denied him treatment. And in that, I realized that I chose my personal beliefs over the tenets of the medicine laid down by Sun Simiao. And this has stuck with me. This is like something that I've like taken great, damage to in my person. So nowadays, I since I sit myself pretty much middle aisle, I'm like socially extremely liberal, but maybe financially very conservative. I would say that I am very comfortable having on the daily, on the hourly conversations with people of both party. And I can easily agree with both of them on very specific things. But I'm also extremely straightforward. If they ask me about my idea on something, I tell it to them. And then I'm in that zone where hopefully I can magically make their problems disappear because otherwise things are going to get real awkward real quick. Okay, so I'm switching over to Four Roses because I'm out of... Uh, That's not I'm a not, bad bottle. It is a bottle that needs to be mixed, but it's not a bad bottle. Yeah, this is the most drunken podcast we've had so far, by far. But as it should be because that is the Taoist lineage of our medicine. It is Taoist. Getting back to Chinese medicine, I think something that you and I have in common is that we are not doctors. Do you think that's important to be a doctor? Uh, so personally? Or I guess tell me your experience of going through the doctoral program. Uh, so I, I, yeah, my experience of going through the doctoral program was that I signed up for it. I flew from Kentucky to California and about three hours into it, I said, fuck it and went and got burritos. So... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer back to do good treatments. 
So I think if if your dream, and this is this is not wrong, but if your if your dream is to work in a fully integrated setting, maybe even in a hospital, or to you know occupy an area with colleagues that are Western medical doctors, absolutely nothing is more important than having a doctoral degree. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I'm impressed and happy that the medicine is moving in such a way that the people going through the program that we went through will be considered doctors instead of just like licensed, whatever we are, licensed acupuncturists. Do I think that it is necessary? Do that I do I think that it brings you more patience? Absolutely not. So I think that doing impressive work is is what you're looking for. And if you, if you need for your own personal reasons or for to get a specific job, become a doctor, by all means, ab- absolutely do it. It's wonderful. Like I, I think that furthering your education, no matter what it entails, is important. Do I think it's necessary to practice the tenets of the medicine? No, and not for me. I guess that's kind of been my attitude because a lot of people ask me about this. I'm kind of like, people don't care what you call yourself. Right. People care about do you make them feel better, and right. if you make people feel better, they will come back and they were t- then they will I tell mean, their friends. I have to correct a lot of people who refer to me as doctor, and I'm like, nope, just Robert. Like, don't even, not even acupuncture. It's just Robert or Patrick. Sorry, my name's Patrick. I was gonna say I do the same thing where it's like people try to call me doctor, and I'm like ethically compelled to tell them that I am right. not actually a doctor. Oh, this is getting real fuzzy. <laughs> I was going to ask you something about the patient population between Kentucky and California. Like, do you find there are specific things in Kentucky? I guess what I'm thinking is, I remember in California, we had a teacher who was a five-element practitioner, and he, like, diagnosed everyone as fire. And for a long time, I thought, like, that's BS. There's no way that everybody is fire. But then after a while, I thought, yeah, maybe all these people are fire. And then I went to Kentucky and, like, man, all of these people are earth. It's like they live in a damp environment. They eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. All of these people are Earth. Do you feel like there's a difference based on geography of what your patients look like? So I absolutely believe that there is a difference based in geography. I think the only argument that I would come up with you is do you have to treat them on those meridians? So I think the constraints of the the Worsley method lead us to believe that we have to use fire points and or fire meridians. And that's not wrong. I might, I might make some badass treatments and some great change. You might come here and you might see dampness and you might say, okay, so I have to use spleen, stomach, earth points, right? But like, what if you use liver points? What if you move chi to, to transform dampness, a hua tan or something? So is that wrong? No. Like, uh, I, like maybe I see it. I, I'm one of those people that I don't see fire as the predominant element in everybody. I don't see earth as a predominant element in everybody in Kentucky. Um, But I'm also one of those people that like I see very little water and tons of this and tons of that. But then most of the people coming in have back pain. So how do I see very little water? To what extent do you take into account constitution when you design a treatment? Uh, So it's like a a 95%. Like 90%. I guess what I'm thinking is like sometimes I pe- I see people that I think they're very fire, but they're presenting with wood problems. Right. Yeah. Okay. So so I'd have to say that um, 
So I might include the first two to four if I was if I was designing a point protocol or, or treatment for the person. Maybe if I was using ten needles total, maybe the first two or four are for their what I would consider to be their constitutional diagnosis, and then everything else is laterally treating that from a different direction. I don't know if you're going to use that. Or not. I don't know if that actually made sense. Do you have any favorite point combinations? No. Like I remember we had a teacher who was like who did fucking lung five, kidney seven on everybody or – I feel like you're like a um, a Shung Di Huang. You're, you're oh. a Shung Di Huang, Huang Chi on everybody type of person. How can you fail though with Shung Di Huang and Huang Chi? That's not a point combination. That's a Dui Yao. I don't know. How else can we shoot the shit about Chinese medicine? And not just me being bitter and... we should. It should be about you being bitter, though. So while I would say that I don't have maybe the best point combination, I would say that there are favorable points per constitution. And I would start off that argument with... Uh, I'm, I'm really like the, like the non-Jing four-point needle protocol for people, right? Yeah. So it's like if you see a kidney person and you're not good enough to to know whether like even even today I've been doing this for not a dramatically long time, but I've been doing it long enough. I should be able to tell excess from deficiency, right? Like you would think so. And still people come in and I'm like, "Oh man, this is super mixed. Like I've narrowed this down to to one organ, but I can't tell. They're showing like 50% excess, 50% deficiency." What if I use like what what if they have back pain and it presents as excess, but I use kidney seven lung eight, which is specifically for a deficiency. But that's a really good combo to just move chi within the the water meridian. So like I don't think that's bad. So I would say that maybe I don't have the uh like gallbladder 39 is going to resolve the head problem, no matter what the head problem is. But maybe based on the constitutional diagnosis of the person, there are specific things that fit that pattern kind of no matter what. So getting back to the classics, is there anybody that you regard as a state? I guess who's like your who's your favorite classical figure in Chinese medicine? Zhang Jingyue. Zhang Jingyue? Zhang Jingyue. Why? Protocols within the medicine to make an architecture that can diagnose and systematically treat most or all patients that walk through your door are classified within the text of Zhang Jingyue. Who the fuck is Zhang Jingyue? I'm not sure. I've oh my god, <laughs> you're fucking just an embarrassment. You're fucking killing me. Do you want me to make it? Do you want me to make it more socially acceptable? Do you want me to say Sun Simiao and Ghost Points? No, no. Like what? what like what book did he write? I don't. I don't know the name. It's that compendium on the peoples. It has the word peoples in it. Okay, so that was a shitty question. So I do not think that in today's age we can have one favorite classical practitioner because at each turn of the century in ancient times, that classical practitioner was elevating and evolving in a new direction, right? Li Dongyuan came and made the earth school, but then Zhu Danxi came and defined the thing of fire that is true, right? Like even the, a crazy concept like yin fire. Mm-hmm. He categorized it, he diagnosed it, he told you how to see it, and he told you how to treat it. And that doesn't mean it didn't exist in former times by previous practitioners, but it also doesn't mean that they were wrong. So the beauty of where we are 
linearly in time is that we have, you know, the four great masters and Sun Sun Miao's text and all these other people because we can take those things and each one of them can be a tool in our toolbox, whether we want to use it in acupuncture or herbal medicine or with any other part of the modalities. So here, this might be a good question for you particularly. I feel like there's sometimes a conflict between the classical Chinese and doing what's traditional versus being innovative and finding new techniques. Like is there some conflict there? It's do the kind of things that we treat, is that the same as what the sages of the past were treating? So I I truly believe anything that we are seeing and anything that we are treating, whether it's something that existed when they did, like mapiriformis is real tight, or whether it's something completely new, coronavirus, is diagnostically available to be seen, understood, and treated within the context of the classics, or there are ways to innovate and bring about a new treatment modality. It depends on how you want to confine yourself. I personally want to be confined in the same parameters as the ancient times. So I'm seeing that using gallbladder 30 and like maybe distal points away from it are going to release this stuck chi in this area. And somebody else might say, oh, yeah, your piriformis, it just, you know, it needs to do like that. And you hit it and it fires. So I don't think that a world where muscle motor points being triggered to elicit relief is incorrect. I think that once again, Caravaggio can paint the Madonna and Raphael can paint the Madonna, and they're both a Madonna. I guess what I'm thinking is, fifteen hundred, like in the time of Zhang Zhongjing, nobody had air conditioning. Or in the time of Zhang Zhongjing, people didn't have diabetes because they ate too much food. It's like, do we have to adapt our methods, or can we still we apply those classical methods? Right. So, so we own, we do have to adapt, but it's still within the same parameters as the the ancients let down. They describe the mechanism as which the machine works, and we apply it to the condition that we see. Is Gonsao overrated? So, so you have prior context that I hate <laughs> Gonsao. And that doesn't mean that Gonsao isn't a wonderful herb that does beyond beautiful things and enters all those meridians. Does Gonsao really I, need to be in every formula? I don't believe. So personally, I don't believe it needs to be in every formula. Is that an insult to the sages of the past that you refuse to include Gonsao in your formula? So I think the sages of the past put it in for reasons that existed in the past. So here we're getting to this thing where the past is different from the present and we need to adapt our methods. And you're saying one of those ways to adapt the methods is the removal of Gonsao from classical formulas. So people often ask me, like, how do you know that you're uh, successful? And my answer is... I buy pre-cut ginseng and I buy pre-cut ginseng because I don't trust the whole ginseng or the way that I cut it to cook thoroughly in a short amount of time. So similarly, I think that things change. Like, do you have to cook muli an hour before you add the other herbs? They didn't pulverize it in the time of Zhang Jingjing. So I think that things can adapt in that way, but not dramatically more. Does Gansau have antimicrobial properties in a time when water had microbes crawling in it all the time? 
And does my filtered water that I use to cook the herbs in successfully facilitate that function of Gonsal and allow me not to use it? Back to the Blantons. This is my favorite bottle of bourbon. Is Old Pappy's really that good? No, Pappy's are trash. Or is it overrated? So it's overrated. Uh, 2012 was the last year that it was actually produced by this company called Stitzel Weller. And anything prior to 2012 is considered to be classical Pappy's and really good. And it's true. Anything from Sitzel Weller is actually phenomenally fucking awesome. And then Buffalo Trace bought out the patent on it and produces it now. And now it's all marketing and people like it because it's rare, but they force it to be rare. So it's uh, it's actually trash. I like I've had them all and they're all awful. Ooh, Karen says, how you pra- how is how is the way you practice now different from the way you practice X amount of years ago? Yeah, I guess that's a good one. Like, how has your practice evolved over time? Now I have to fucking think about it because <clears throat> I don't know that mine actually has, except I listened to your uh, Lindsay, Tr- I'm going to say Trottier because that's how it should be fucking pronounced. So I like I remember her, but I never met her, never talked to her or anything. <clears throat> and I follow her on social media like just because. <clears throat> and uh, I like really enjoyed the interview. Like I thought it was really wild. Like, uh, so I'm like, I, mean, I want to learn the ton method just because. Like, I'm not going to use it, yeah. but I, like, I actually just want to read about it. But um, I don't know how I would answer that question. I don't think the way that I actually treat has evolved, and I think that that's actually a problem. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a negative thing. I think the way that you treat should evolve. <laughs> how did you feel about your education at PCOM? So I believe that not only PCOM, but any school within America that is a for-profit university is geared for one thing, and that is to make you pass a test. And that is not wrong. So I did, I did not enjoy my education with that, within Pacific College. However, I have, to, I have to like put in there that I read a dramatic amount about Chinese medicine and was introduced to it years before getting there. So while in it, I was extremely frustrated and very upset about the quality of the education that I was getting. But at the end, and then years later, realizing that I got exactly what I paid for, and I'm not upset about it whatsoever, I paid to be licensed, and they delivered that license to me swiftly and easily. Like, do you feel that you practice Chinese medicine in spite of school rather than because of school? I think that I practice Chinese medicine because I believe that it is my path and what I want to do with my life and that the education that I received was a hurdle to get there and a very low hurdle, an extremely low hurdle. Do you feel like school was hard? Maybe I'll maybe I'll just say it this way. Like, do you feel like school was difficult? Do you think it's comparable to actual medical school? So it is it is in no way comparable to an undergraduate in the sciences or to actual medical school. It is it is difficult in a way that it is a foreign language in which everything in our culture has not prepared us for. And so you have to learn a completely different way of thinking inside of a concise time. 
So I, I believe that that is difficult for a lot of people, right? You have to change all of your views on nature to a ancient culture that defined things a very specific way, and then you have to be able to regurgitate that information. So <clears throat> in my case, I had studied a lot of that before going into school. And when I got accepted into Pacific College, I was terrified that I was not ready and that everybody else was going to be more advanced than me. I spent most of my time drinking and surfing. So it sounds like you're saying that the difficulty was in a change of perspective, not necessarily in the academic rigor. So so a change of perspective and the fact that in most things within Western culture, we apply a, a model to it and it modifies our way of thinking and we're comfortable within that in a very scientific realm. So this is like a photosynthesis makes sense because A plus B, right? And when you change that to yin and yang theory, it is equally as easy but different because the vocab is different. And you must learn a completely different vocabulary and way of thinking in order to arrive at the correct answer. And the way that they teach this, in America at least, is through rote, rote memorization. And while I don't, I don't think that that's wrong, I think that an emphasis on the ideology of the medicine at an earlier time might be more effective. I guess this is an interesting discussion about rote memorization because this is something I was reading. I think it was actually Paul Unschuld again where he talked about the importance of memorization, that like from a Buddhist perspective, perspective that it's first you memorize the words, then you understand the meaning of the words, and then you integrate them. And I think his commentary was that Chinese people tend to memorize the words but not understand the meaning, whereas American students tend to try to understand the meaning but they never memorize the words. I'm not sure if I actually formulated the question out of that. There wasn't a question, but I really liked it. You can attach a question to the end of that. Do you see this in a way that you were educated? Um, is rote memorization useless? So no, yeah, absolutely not. I don't believe that rote memorization is useless, especially in terms of if you are uh, going to have a full herbal practice, you had better remember the entering meridians, right? And remembering the inter entering meridians of something super specific like Baibu can come in handy when you're seeing a person, right? It only enters the large intestine if you place it there. But then in the context of framing a, a medical diagnosis with something in the five elements energetically, you had better understand the 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 chi the chi mechanism, the chi hua of the body. This is a really bad idea. That's a big pour. I like it. Randomly jumping back to business. Do you remember your practice management class in school? I do, fondly. What you learned in your practice management class, how is that different from what actually happened in the real world? So specific to my practice management class, it was completely unreliable. It did not set us up for the real world situations in the way that it did not give us the foundation of how you start a business. It gave us the foundation of how you continue a business running. And that might be specific to the practice management class that I had. 
So I guess what are the real world things that you wish you had learned in that class? Customer satisfaction, customer appreciation, being good to the customer, understanding the customer, meeting the customer on common ground, delivering a good successful treatment. And I guess what does that look like in terms of like meeting the customer on a common ground, um, giving good customer service? Like what does that look like? So we, when you exit school, you are trained to diagnose and to treat. And in my experience, what you are not trained to do is to run that business and be the face of that business. It would be great if we all had that Karen Aladdin at the front of our business that like greeted people and met people and made them believers and made them want to come. And then they came back and they didn't talk to us at all and we just did our thing, right? But in order to run the business, you have to sell yourself to the customer. We don't spend money in marketing because my marketing is there. It is selling it to each person because it is me and it is unreproducible. The next part that needed to be educated for me that I had to find out find out on the fly was the was a, the infrastructure of keeping the business running. So how to pay taxes, how to save money, how to set up those things. Because th- making sure that you can survive to the next year is making sure that you can survive that day. Because sometimes I feel like when I was in school, I was more interested in learning the medicine and I kind of pushed learning business to the side. Right, and I, and I don't think that that's wrong. And I don't know that that is the job of the school. Right. If you wanted to be good at business, we should have gone to business school. And I think that in the beginning, I really wish that I would have had a business manager to set up things in a more coherent, congruitive manner. I went to school to learn the technicalities of learning Chinese medicine and to get a license. And I and I got those things, air quotes, I got those things from where I went. And I'm and I'm not going to argue about it at this point. But I think that there is more, like you can give the greatest treatment in the world, but if you don't pay your taxes or your rent or your electricity, you ain't going to be able to give the best treatment in the world. Um, Lame question. What do you think the most important trait for a practitioner is to have? Did my verbs just make sense there? No, yeah, you did. Uh, Great customer rapport. I think that nine times out of 10, the person with better rapport is going to do better than the person with the better treatment. Oh, here's what I was going to ask you. What do you say to a patient when they don't get better? Like they come back for their follow-up and they say, nothing changed, I didn't get better. What, how do you approach that? So I'm dramatically straightforward with patients. And one of the things that I do within patient education is help them understand what their diagnosis is through the lens of Chinese medicine. And I have a very strong idea within me that if a patient doesn't get better, it is because of the inadequacy of the practitioner. And it is not to say that there are some diagnoses or some treatments that maybe take a few sessions to get rolling, right? Like the patient might not notice things after session one. And that's completely okay because it might be so bad. The deficiency might be so great that they need two or three sessions before they start moving in the right way. So I think that it's very important to give your patient a very good understanding of 
what things to look for after each session. And if a patient returns to me and I've told them, hey, I'm expecting to see some level of change after even just session one, then they come back and they say, nothing changed, nothing happened. Then I will attempt to show them within the constraints of the medicine how I am seeing their diagnosis, what I think that means, that they didn't get better, and how I think more treatment, be it acupuncture or herbal medicine, will move them in the right direction, and then what to expect from that. So I feel like sometimes there's this idea that the patient has to meet you halfway, that you can give a great treatment, but the patient has to do their part too. So when you when that patient doesn't get better, is it the patient's fault for not changing their lifestyle or is it your fault for giving a tra- for giving a crappy treatment? So if I if I didn't give a crappy treatment, let's start there cuz I think the if I gave a crappy treatment, then I gave a crappy treatment and that was my fault, right? I stole the person's 80 bucks. So say I I didn't give a crappy treatment, but the patient needed to meet me halfway, which is completely viable. If you come in, you've got like a grade three herniated disc, everything in your body is inflamed, and you're sucking down Kool-Aid, then I expect your back pain to not go anywhere because the sugar and the inflammatory response, do you hear a baby crying? Is that a baby or a cat? (laughs) It's it's a baby. Hang on. So say I treat that person, and I think... And it is true that I gave the the best treatment possible. Then I will try to define within the parameters of the medicine why they didn't improve. Right, your kidney yang deficiency is so yang deficient. It's going to take me at least a couple attempts to get the yang to build to where you notice it. And I and I don't think that that's a lie, right? I think I see that in clinical practice, and so I will try to educate the patient to see that thing, and or I will look for lateral symptomology or things that are changing within the person. I.e., I just saw the person the other day who has gotten they came with the back pain that was ten out of ten. We did the acupuncture, uh, got to the the three out of ten. They were extremely happy. And then we had an ice storm in Kentucky. Oh, it's very cold. And uh, everybody started arguing that their SI joints hurt. All the cold got into that meridian and everybody started coming down with the same symptomology, right? So that person who was very happy from the 10 out of 10 to the 3 out of 10 came in and they said, hey, everything's reversed. I'm back from square one. And so illustrating to them how there's a bigger mechanism going on. You did not arrive here overnight. The pain did not just start at a 10 out of 10. You grew into this pattern. We moved you quickly. We expect regression. And then you have this cosmological event of cold, right? We're in winter. Kidney yang deficiency is worse than being upfront with your patient, explaining things to them in a level that they can understand and illustrating it is the strongest thing that you can do. You put the needle in. Have you ever had to fire a patient? I fire patients left and right all the time. Why do you fire patients? Typically, uh, non-compliance with their 50% of things. And the way that this looks is I'm a, I'm convolutedly not firing them, but I tell them, you know, I need your body to be the least amount inflamed as it can be to get over the hump of this problem. And I can't do that with you sucking down Velveeta. 
And so it is not worth your time and money to come to me until you change that part because within the parameters of the medicine, I am not able to overcome that problem. I literally have this conversation with people all the time. What I'm not interested in doing, and and this does not mean that it's wrong, but what I'm not interested in doing is changing people's pain very temporarily and then having them come see me very consistently. And so if I can change their lifestyle, that is my predominant goal. And if I can change their lifestyle and have them get better and then me magnify that change with the tenets of Chinese medicine, then I feel like I've done a good job. I've done them a true service because I've included Yang Sheng. And that's not a hit at any other type of uh, lineage or practice or anything. It's actually a hit at like PTs and doctors. Is dry needling legal in Kentucky? It is extremely legal. How do you feel about dry needling? I mean, I see people, I get new patients every week who were injured by dry needling. And then for some reason, we're told by someone to come see me. And I am fine with it from a business perspective because it drives attention in my direction. From a philosophical standpoint, I believe that at some point in ancient history, the acupuncturist didn't start off at 100% perfection, right? And so they had to start somewhere. And so I believe the same of dry needling. It is Western medicine moving in a direction that could one day get them somewhere very good. And I'm, I'm not against it, but everything has its time and place. I have patients that come see me and say dry needling saved their life. And, I'm, and it doesn't bring me sadness. So are they just reinventing acupuncture? I no, in no way, because at some point, you know, back to Sun Tzu Meow, even a dumb motherfucker can move energy, right? And maybe they are hitting that biceps motor point or that, uh, you know, piriformis motor point and moving energy is a cat. Is that your cat? Yeah. I was it's say a cat. He's cat. Like harassing me. So hang on. So I'm not upset with, so I'm not upset with what they're doing and they are at some extent probably moving energy to elicit a change, but little by little through clinical experience, they'll move in the right direction. They've just got about 5,000 years to figure out what, you know, is in our lineage. I've heard you say that this is your, um, this is your heavenly mandate. Right. Have you ever had any doubts about practicing Chinese medicine? Uh, me personally, I would say no, that I, I do not have any doubts. However, I would, I would put an asterisk next to that and I would say, I would have doubts if people just didn't get better. Like maybe I'm spoiled in that it seems more times than not, I'm, it moves in the right direction. And so I, I don't argue with that be- belief or feeling that I have. And if it was more difficult, because that's the thing is I'll say that starting the business and and running the business and making sure it's efficient and doing its thing, it's difficult, right? It's a, it's a, it's a labor of love. I should have gone to medical school and I should have just been paid $300,000 a year to be wrong. Because in my mind, that's what a lot of doctors do. And if I could just be paid to be wrong and push patients along, it'd be dramatically easier. Not all doctors do that. But... It no time 
have I been put in a position in where I have truly thought that I am not in the right path or the right focus because I'm consistently bombarded with things that are treated efficiently. Would you say that you have a certain style of practice? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say that it is so non, non Worsley five element, non Jing style, whatever that means. So that's, that sounds, I'm, I'm like a super pretentious person to start with, but that sounds really pretentious. Like that's too pretentious. Even yeah. I guess like what does non Jing style mean? What does that so mean I think it means you? I think it means channel theory. Like I, I literally think that it means that. So I pay attention to the channel. I believe in the channel theory. I don't go off the channel theory, but does that include things that look like the balance method or Zong Fu diagnosis? I mean, it does. Like some somebody will come to me and I'll take their pulse and I'll be like, oh, this is a this is a large intestine six lung nine straightforward answer. And that should be a Zong Fu diagnosis or protocol that people move towards. So is is that Zong Fu? I th- I think so. But I guess the same- I guess like how does Zong Fu differ differ from channel theory? So I think that when we say Zong Fu in the pretentious way that you and I say it, what we are actually saying is the rote memorization of Americanized Chinese medicine. Somebody comes in with a headache, here are the 10 headache points, you do those. This is an organ level thing, right? You diagnose this headache the same way you would diagnose the herbs that go for it. And in an ancient traditional sense, that is incorrect, right? But in the same token, there are pieces of that that are correct, correct in a way that the points that you do not only work, but can be explained in the other systems of the medicine. So I can be a true, uh, true balance method practitioner, right? And I can argue with you that you're wrong or you're right in this way that this point that you used works, but you're using it for the wrong reason, but, but you still used it at the end of the day. I don't know. I think I feel like I'm getting to that point where like I'm rambling and I'm just saying the same things over and over. So I'm trying to think on the podcast of drunken acupuncture. That's what it's supposed to be. All right, I'm gonna go pee. You can figure out if you're gonna open Nanjing or we're gonna call it a night. But I'm really good for either one of those. Okay, I'm gonna go pee and maybe I'll be back, but maybe I won't. (laughs) That's completely fine. This episode of the podcast can be downloaded at podcast.tcmstudy.net slash session eight. Thanks to Patrick for being here. Thanks to the Patreon members for supporting this podcast. And thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time.